are in Acts chapter 4. And uh, before I get to that, I want to read Acts, the end of Acts chapter 2, because that's the summary that Paul is building off of for the rest of these, these next few chapters. So in Acts chapter 4, or excuse me, 2, in Acts chapter 2, it says, uh, beginning in verse 41, And then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who were believing were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to them, adding to their number day by day those that were being saved. That was a summary that Luke put together. And now, beginning in chapter 3 and following... Uh, he is giving examples of those things that were happening. And we saw last week, we saw where the, uh, Peter and, and John had uh, been preaching the gospel. They healed the lame man, got in trouble for it, got arrested, thrown in the pokey, and uh, came out and they said, hey, what, you know, uh, they, the, the, Sanhedrin said, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, what? We can do nothing else but to preach what we have seen and heard. And so that's exactly what they did. They went back and they prayed together. And where we ended last week was when they prayed and said, Lord, give us boldness to preach your word the house was shaken where they were. And they went out and preached in boldness. So that brings us to our, our uh, today's chapter. Uh, we're going to finish chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. And really that's where the break is because he's finished talking to us about the miracles that they were doing. He was talking about how they were in the temple day by day preaching the word of God in boldness. And now he's going he's to give us some examples of those who were sharing, those who had all things in common. And uh, he's going to begin with um, a really good example. And then he's going to give us an example that we, we look at and people go, oh, did he have to put that in there with Ananias and Sapphira? And one of the things that, uh, you know, some people say, well, the Bible, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of people writing fables. If you were going to write a story of your life, uh, would you put in all the bad parts? If you were going to write a story of David, would you put in that he, 
he had a, an affair and then ended up killing the woman's husband? You wouldn't put that in there. Would you put in there the struggles that, that people went through? If I was Peter and I was writing my story, I would, I would certainly put in the part how I stepped out of the boat and walked on the water, but I would not put in the part where I started to sink. And one of the proofs that the Bible is the Word of God is God does not shy away from the hard stuff. I mean, just the story of Noah. God says, hey, the world has become corrupt, and I only have eight people that trust me. That's hard. But as we look at this, I want you to see what God was doing. He puts in the hard stuff to strengthen our faith. And so let's look, and first we're going to look at the good part. We're going to look at Joe, a guy by the name of Joe. Chapter 4, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and the abundance of grace was among them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as had any need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translates, translated means son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet." Now this does not mean that this is the way we need to be living in today's world. But this is an example of what was happening at that time. I want you to go back and remember what we've already seen. At one point, we had 3,000 get saved on the day of Pentecost. When Peter preached after the lame man was healed... They had 5,000 got saved. We had this huge influx of people that were coming, and they were Jewish people. And they were from all over the world. If you remember all the way back in chapter 1, there were people from 16 different languages that were listed. And they came and they stayed. Now, I don't know what would happen if we started having revival here at Eastside and we had 8,000 people that started coming, people that came from all over the world to say, revival's breaking out here. We want to be in the middle of it. You know, for one thing, we wouldn't be in this building, would we? <laughs> we'd, we'd be down at the fairgrounds or someplace that could accommodate all those people. But it would be a much different story for these people because a lot of them, they're away from home. Many of them would have lost their livelihood. If you were a Jewish person who converted to following Jesus, 
your family would have written you off. You wouldn't have a job. They lived in the Jewish culture. Families lived together. When the son would get married, he'd build on an extra room for him and his wife. And so, and so you would have lost your house. You would have lost your job because you had the family income. What would you do? And that was the circumstances that they were facing. And so the thing that I think I want you to understand is, number one, they were one in heart and soul. That's the beginning of how this works. Because they were able to say, who has a need? Okay. And then they would turn and say, who can meet that need? That's really the church, isn't it? Somebody has a need? Who can meet that need? And that's what was happening. And it wasn't that everybody, everybody there sold everything and threw it in a big pot and everybody just came and it as those who had a need were met by those who had the ability to fulfill that need. And it was running through the Holy Spirit. Joseph was one of those men. Now I want you to understand, Joseph, who's, who, what was he called? Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Before he ever sold his land, he was an encourager. Now where was he from? It, it, he was from the island, island of Cyprus. He had left there. He had come down. He was, it says he was a Levite, so the likelihood was that he had come for Passover to do his duty as a Levite. He would have seen the crucifixion of Jesus, and then he heard about the resurrection of Jesus, and then he got saved on Pentecost, and he's like going around, how can I help you? You ever meet somebody like that? What do you need? You need the shirt off my back? That's Barnabas. That's Joseph. And he, he is so in tune to encouraging people and helping people that he says, you know, I've got this plot of land back on Cyprus. And I'm going to sell it. And it says that he brought, brought it all and that was the pattern. You'll see that pattern uh, that they had all things in common. And it says uh, in verse 34, would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales to the apostles. And then the apostles would give out as people had need. And so the picture here is not that everybody's selling stuff all at once and throwing it into a big pot. Barnabas saw a need. He said, I have this land. And the Holy Spirit says, Barnabas, I want you to sell that land and give it to meet the need. Now, there's something interesting about what happens when God begins to work in your heart with sacrificial giving. I want you to understand what happened with Barnabas because Barnabas is not one of these guys we see once and, he, and he's off the radar. Barnabas says, I'm going to sell my land and I'm going to stay right here 
and I'm going to encourage people. Selling that land freed him from his obligation in Cyprus. He didn't have to go back and take care of it. He didn't have to go back and pay the taxes. He didn't have to, he, he got rid of it, and it freed him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 27, a guy by the name of Saul, who will become Paul, comes back to Jerusalem. He had been, he, we haven't, we'll see this story in a little bit, uh, in a few weeks. He hadn't been born again yet at this time, but he, Paul is going to come back to Jerusalem, and nobody likes him because he had been persecuting the church, except for Barnabas. And in Acts 9.27, it says that Barnabas came and got a hold of Saul, and you know what he did? He listened to his story. Because Barnabas wasn't with him on the way up to Damascus, Paul had to tell him the story. I was was persecutor of the church. I was on my way to Damascus to to arrest more Christians and haul them back to the council. And God met me on the road and he spoke to me and he blinded me. And I, and I I came to see Jesus, the Messiah. And now I want to preach, but nobody will let me. Because of my past. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people like that. God saves them. And then they look and they go, well, you've got tattoos all over your body. You've got long hair. You can't, you've got, you know. They look at their past instead of saying, tell us what God did. But Barnabas listened. And he took him, took Paul to the, to the leaders and said, listen to this guy. God's got a hold of him. That was the first time that he, he stayed there in Jerusalem so that he could encourage people. Well, in Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 11, the, the leaders of the Jerusalem church are hearing rumbles from Antioch. People from Jerusalem have gone to Antioch and there's a church going there and it's doing some pretty cool things. And guess who they sent to Antioch? Barnabas. Why? He didn't have any, he didn't, ha- didn't own anything. Didn't have anything to hold him back. They send him up there and, and guess what Barnabas does while he's up there? I need to find my old friend Paul. He's back in Tarsus where he grew up. I'm going to go find Paul. So he hitchhikes over to to Antioch, picks Paul up, says, come on back. You're going to help me preach at Antioch. And so he stays at Antioch and he preaches with Paul by his side. And during those days it was called Barnabas and Paul. And then they decide to go in in chapter uh, 13. They decide, or better yet, the church decides for them. It says the church in Antioch separated Paul and Barnabas and sent them off on their first missionary journey because they had heard there's believers in these little towns 
all over Asia Minor. They need help. And Barnabas traveled with Paul for, for between 8 and 14 years. He traveled with Paul all that time. And even when it quit being Barnabas and Paul and started being Paul and Barnabas. And then after they had an argument, he hooked up with John Mark, his cousin, and said, come on, John Mark, I'm going I'm to teach you the ropes. And he took John Mark out on, out on a missionary journey. That was Barnabas. The fact that he was willing to follow the Holy Spirit and sell his property allowed him to be used by God to start churches all over Asia Minor. And he became the chief encourager of Paul who would take that on to Greece and to Rome He was freed. That's what happens when when you obey the Holy Spirit. It frees you up to go do what God had called you to do. What an amazing thing for Barnabas to say, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll sell off my property and give it to you. Well, we see another half, and this is, the hard half to look at. In chapter 5, 1 through 11, is the story, the narrative, I should say, of Ananias and Sapphira, a husband and wife. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and they kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And he heard these words, and Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. And the young men got up and covered him up and carried him out, and they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Wow, that's kind of a, that's kind of a hard thing to hear, isn't it? 
Here are these people, they, they sold something, but they didn't bring it all. And God struck them dead. So, first of all, I want you to understand that Ananias and Sapphira were believers. Some people read this story and they'll say, well, they, they weren't really saved. Well, there's a couple indications in here that they were. Number one, it says they lied to the Holy Spirit. They lied to the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit only does one thing for unbelievers. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, the Holy Spirit, prior to salvation, is in the conviction business. He's not in the indwelling business. Now, once you get saved, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, which puts you into the body of Christ. And there's all kinds of things that happen between you and the Holy Spirit as you grow in His grace. The second thing it says in here is that they lied to who? God. They lied to God. Well, the, the first prayer that God hears from, from somebody who is not a believer is, Jesus saved me. He wouldn't hear, oh, hey, God, I'm taking part of this over here. Right? And I fully believe that they had been instructed by the Holy Spirit to sell their property. The Holy Spirit had said, listen, there's a need. Your obligation is to meet it. And the Holy Spirit had stirred their heart to sell their property. And once it got sold, that's when the struggle began. And we really don't know what the, what the reasoning behind holding it back. Part, it may have been lack of faith. Well, hey, you know, we have this big chunk of money. What happens if this whole way thing here fizzles out and we don't have any money left? Or the other could just be greed. Wow, look at this. It sold for over the asking price. And so we're going to keep this extra for us. Now, Peter had no, had no reason to know how much it was sold for. But the Holy Spirit comes to Peter and says, listen, there, there's something wrong here. There's something going on with these guys. And, and Peter confronts him. And, and he responds, oh, yeah, that's what we sold it for. He, he, he's misrepresenting himself. Now, now, part of it could have been, hey, listen, we want to be like Joe. Maybe, maybe if we give this money to the church, we'll get that really, maybe we'll get a cool nickname like Son of Encouragement. They were doing it for the show. They, they brought it in in front of everybody and laid it down. Ananias did. He wanted people to see him bring this money in. 
I've watched this over the years. I see people, you know, this is the one that just drives me absolutely nuts. They come in and they have the big check. You know, signed with their name at the bottom. We're giving this to this Christian college so they can build a new, build a new building. We're giving it, we're, we, we're going to give a pew to the church. And then they put their name right on the end of it. This, this is our pew. I've watched those. Been in many churches like that. They wanted to be seen. Instead of quietly coming to the apostles and said, here, here's the whole amount. They had held back. Now what is this thing that caused them to die? Well, 1 John gives us uh, this one verse that kind of people kind of scratch their heads about. This is what this is about. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, so what is this sin unto death? It is the sin unto death is willful, continuous, unrepented sin. Willful, continuous, and unrepentant sin. You see, he, what, did, what did Peter say to him? While you still had control of the land, you didn't have to sell the land. You could have kept it. And after you sold it, it was yours to do with as you wished. But the moment you came in and said, here's all of it. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Give me a nickname. It was willful. It was continuous. And it was unrepentant. Now, I want you to understand something. Peter did not call judgment down on him. It was not Peter. It was God. And this is not the first time God has done this. And it's not the last. In the Old Testament, we see many examples of this in Exodus where God says, Hey, you want to you grumble? You want to oppose Moses and Aaron? Yeah, I'll take you out. Because God looks at your heart. Is it willful? Is it continuous? Is it unrepentant? There's a, that term that they use for both Ananias and Sapphira is it says they breathed their last. Now this Greek term is only used one other time, and it's used regarding Herod. In Acts chapter 12, Herod had gotten a little bit full of himself, and it says in Acts chapter 12, on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, 
took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of God and not of man. And it says, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. And that term for died is breathed his last. God says, enough of you, Herod. If you're... Reading in, in, we're in the book of Daniel at one of our Bible studies at Brookdale. Nebuchadnezzar had the same problem. Except God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your mind away from you for seven years and you're going to crawl on the ground and you're going to eat grass out with the wild animals and your hair is going to look like feathers. And after seven years it says, and he came to his senses and he gave glory to God. Wow. God says, now why did God do this? Why, why would God do this? What was the outcome? The outcome was the fear of God fell on the people. Notice verse 5. And as they heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came on all who heard it. And then look down at verse 11. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Great fear. Well, wait a second. Isn't God a God of love? Isn't that the reason we should go to church is, is to feel the love of God? Well, I think you also need to feel the fear of God. Because God isn't only the God of grace. He is the God of justice. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, there's a lot of people that want to have the last half of that verse, but they don't care about the first half of the verse. I'm going to live any way I want to live, but the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. And that's hard to hear. In 1741, a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached a message entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he is attributed with that message starting the Great Awakening in 1741. He didn't preach oh come to Jesus he'll love you into the kingdom. He preached what? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And it brought people to what? Repentance. You see, repentance is part of our way to salvation. If you confess your sins, right? When we see God not only as the God of love, but as the God of justice, 
we have to say, thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross so that I can be forgiven of my sins and have eternal life. Because Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Fear of God not only affects the church. Do you think anybody else came and brought a partial payment? Do you think people paid attention when the Holy Spirit says, this is what I want you to do? You do that? I think they did. But it also affected the people on the outside. See, people will, people will come to hear all about the love of Jesus. But not everybody will come and hear the fact that, that God is a God of justice. But he also is a God of mercy and grace. It's by his mercy and grace that he went to the cross. And some people don't want to hear that. In Acts chapter uh, 9, it tells us that, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in what? in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to what? Increase. You see, the fear of the Lord is part of what brings people. It's part of what causes people to repent. In chapter 19, Paul is preaching and he's doing miracles and there's... (laughs) I, I, if you've never read this, this particular passage, read the whole passage. Paul's up preaching and doing miracles, and there's these guys that want to mimic Paul, and so they're running around trying to cast out demons in Paul's name, and, and they should have known better because Jesus, because it was in the name of Jesus that Paul cast out demons. But they wanted to, they wanted to, to cast them out in the name of Paul. And you know what happened? the demons came out of the person and beat them up. I I think that's pretty cool. Even the demons knew to fear Jesus. And it it says this, that after that little event occurred with Paul, it says, and this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of who? The Lord Jesus was being magnified, not the name of Paul. It's the name of the Lord Jesus. And many also of those who had believed kept coming. And what were they doing? They were confessing and they were disclosing their practices. And says many who practiced magic brought their books together and began to burn them in the sight of everyone. And they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. You see, repentance also causes action. Repentance isn't just, okay, God, I'm really sorry. Repentance is, God, I'm sorry. 
my, the consequences of my sin was the cross. And I'm going to follow you and to follow Jesus. Jesus says, take up your cross how often? Daily, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me. That means I have to change. Now, the church isn't there to make you change. It's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's God's job. Now, we'll be glad, I'll be glad to come along inside anybody. When they come and they say, okay, I've got an addiction. All right. Let's confess it and let's move, let's move the other way. Whatever is holding you back, unforgiveness, bitterness, whatever it is that's holding you back, come, I'll, I'll kneel right here next to you and I will pray with you and I will walk with you as each one of us should. When people want to repent and confess and move the other way, it takes action. You see the people there, they were, they were full of, of all the, the wizardry and the, and the, the sorcery and, and the magic. And they came and they said, we can't do this anymore. And they burned it. That's pretty drastic. Get rid of it. Don't just put it on your shelf. Don't sell it so somebody else can get into it. They burned it. Sometimes you have to take drastic action when the Holy Spirit works in you and you feel the fear of God. And you repent and you change. Well, Acts... The Acts chapter 5 finishes with these words, or this, this part, I should say. It's no, we're not finishing the chapter. Sorry, don't want to get anybody thinking we're going to go till 2 o'clock. So, so this portion, we're going to, it finishes with this. But none, oh, excuse me, all hands of the apostles, at the hands of the apostles, Many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were with, with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord multiplies, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number so that such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them in cots and pallets so that when Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on any one of them and also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. The fear of God was moving, but so was the Holy Spirit of God. Not only was it moving in the people, but it was starting to move out. Did you notice that concentric circle? It moved to the outskirts now. It's beginning to affect the surrounding villages. People were hearing about this. We've been talking in the last few weeks of the Asbury University 
revival that went on and, and it's now, they've, they've, been, they've gone back to classes. But there were people coming, especially students, coming from other colleges. It has is, it is now affected well over 20 Christian universities around the United States that it's breaking out in revival in these other universities. Because the Spirit of God, when it begins to move, causes people to change. And I want you to notice, God moved first in the church. He moved in the church. It was the fear that took place at a church meeting when Ananias and Sapphira were struck down for lying to the Holy Spirit. And the church was the first one to show, wait a second, this is serious. God has called us to something different. God has called us to have a different motivation in this world. This is serious stuff. The next, he says, the rest. Now, who were the rest? Isn't that kind of an interesting? I believe the rest is talking about all of those people that were on the outskirts. Remember it says that they continued daily at Solomon's portico? That was, that was the biggest place to hold a, a big, large meeting. And a lot of people would come and they would sit on the outskirts. My, my daddy told me about when he was little, he was not a believer. And uh, the, they used to have brush arbor meetings. I don't know how many of you, back before they brought the big tent revivals around, they would go out in the country and they would, they would create brush arbors, which was just, you know, four poles and you piled a bunch of brush on top to give yourself a little, a little shade. And usually it was Pentecostal preachers. And my dad would go and they would sit on the fence at the edge of the field to watch the people. You see, there's always people that are watching. They're on the outskirts. They're like going, what is going on here? This is not normal. This isn't normal church. This isn't normal activity. Something's happening. People's lives are getting changed. That's the rest. They were kind of sitting back going, whoa, 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 wait a second. This is a little bit radical. Do I really want to get involved in it? But also it affected the people. Notice what it says about the people. It says that they were, uh, great fear came on the whole church and over all that heard these things. And in verse 13 it says, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. But notice, however the people held them in high esteem. The people. That's your community. Here it would be Albany. When God starts to work and change people's lives, the community is going to step up and look and say, wait a second, something's going on. I know that guy, he was a drug addict. He was an alcoholic. He was addicted to pornography. He was the one that kept the gambling open. And you can name whatever sin you want to name. And they're going to see people getting changed 
And the community is going to go, something's going on over there. We need to keep an eye on that. Now, some of that may be good. Some of it may be people saying, hmm, I'm in that category. Maybe I want to go check that out. But God was moving. God will move people into where you are so that you can touch their lives. Well, next week we're going to see that this doesn't always have the outcome that we want. Because next week what we're going to see is they're going to get arrested. Not just Peter and John. It's going to be the whole set of the apostles. All of the apostles. So you guys just thought you wanted to be elders at the church, right? The day may come. They come for all of us. We don't know. We'll see that next week. But for now, I want you to understand that, that, that God, God is moving, and He doesn't always move in, the, in the, what we would think of as the love, but sometimes He moves in the fear, and He moves in justice. And, he, and it all comes down to this. God wants to change your life. He doesn't want you to come to him and remain the same. He wants to come and change you to be like him, to walk like him.